This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart, and I'm the producer and facilitator of this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. In this episode, I speak with painter Eddie Martinez. Eddie's large-scale oil paintings are full of movement and curiosity and color. When I take his work in, I see an artist performing surgery on his own history. Eddie is always opening his paintings up and peeling things back in order to find something new and rewarding. His work looks and feels like it's an absolute joy to make. Eddie recently opened a show of new work at Anderson's Contemporary in Copenhagen. I caught up with him shortly after he returned back home to New York. That's how I can tell if these things are working. <laughs> pa, 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 pa. <laughs> pa, 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 pa. <laughs> All right. Eddie, thank you for doing this. Si, sí, senor. Yeah. Um, a little unorthodox. I wanted to ask some, some questions, semi-multiple <coughs> semi choice, about Boston. Oh. You ready? <laughs> Excuse me. You ready? Yeah. All right. The first one's kind of a layup. From the 19 era, 1980s era Celtics, name the original big three. Well, wouldn't it be, uh, wouldn't it be Bird, um, fuck, Robert Parrish, Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and fucking the Chief. The Chief is Robert Parrish. There's one more, Kevin McHale. No, that's that. you got two out of three. That's all you pretty had to good. say was scoliosis. Oh yeah, <laughs> which one had scoliosis? Kevin McHale. Did he? Yeah, he's all yeah. the box. That's why he's all. Yeah, like, yeah. He had some like major pivot moves down low yeah. in the paint because he had that the shoulders hitting people. Huh. That was like. Oh yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. All right, here's a here's a bonus question. Which of the big three was busted for getting a brick of weed delivered oh, to him? Oh, the chief. That's why they call him the chief. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that's why they call him the chief because he's puffing. What, <laughs> was the. Uh, did like the post office deliver it to him, or the, like yeah, the post office busted him? I think that's what it was. It's pretty funny. Were you living in in Boston, in Massachusetts, in the eighties? Is that where you, you initially uh, grew up? I wasn't there until uh, nineteen eighty nine. I was in um, Haverhill. Haverhill, Mass. Well, that's like a, that's a suburb of Boston. No, Haverhill. Haverhill's weird, far. I don't okay. know what the fuck it is. I mean, it is a suburb. Mm -hmm. It's more towards New Hampshire, actually. Okay. Um, I feel like I've driven through. Then Haverhill. I was in Winchester. No, then I was in Tewksbury. Then I was in Winchester. Tewksbury. Tewksbury, Dylan. <laughs> and then Winchester, and then I moved to San Diego. Were you making art when you were a kid at that age? Were you drawing? You know. Yeah, drawing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, grip tape. Sure. So copying skateboarding. Copying Hobbs, the same shit. Just copying yeah. The Simpsons. Comics. Yeah, just copying. Mm -hmm. Not really reading. Mm-hmm. All right, it's it's Halloween. The year is nineteen ninety three. Were you were you were you so we were in high school in the early nineties. Were you in the Boston area at that point? Ninety three, I was in San Diego. San Diego. So this question won't work, but I'm still gonna ask you. Were you A dancing in the street of Hyannis? Were you B figuring out how to handle a spray can? Or C which you weren't because you'd have to be in Boston. 
you weren't on the banks of the Charles River with Karen, who you met at Aubon Pan. Is that I just real made it information up. that I don't <laughs> no. remember? I just made it up. Okay. Well, no, just put it to 94, and it'll be applicable, and mm -hmm. I actually was spray painting on Halloween 94. So you got into graffiti, what did you say, in high school? Yeah, yeah. early high school. What, and did you have, like, a little crew that you ran around with spray painting? Yeah. Yeah. And do you know... Did you frequent the the Boston University trestles? Of course. What was the scene like there? I've I a supporter of this project told me about the trestles. Oh, love what the was trestles. it? Is it like a an alleyway or something? No, it was a bridge. A bridge. Yeah, over water freight bridge. Oh. And they would do like you know, terrible BU. What is it? Huskies. Sounds right. Like. Oh, no, that's Northeastern. I don't okay. know what you used. Uh, right. Anyway, you know, they would all do their, like, fida, fida, foda, uh -huh. fida, graffiti. Mm -hmm. And then that place was, like, a little bit above. It was way above my skill level, but it was also, like, a generation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only people that were really... You had to be... I think the people that were really painting there at the time that I would go there were very good. Mm-hmm. Um, do you was, remember their names, like the, the their monikers? Yeah, it would have been like uh, DCK crew, which it would have been like Alert, Case, Curse, uh, Target painted there a lot. And these are big Boston guys at yeah, the time. Yeah, Rob Gangemi, who was a skater. Oh, yeah, 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 he yeah. He would paint there a lot. I used to love watching him skate. Yeah. He's super good. I see him around here sometimes. Yeah. I think he might live in, I New York. Lives in New York. Um, were you ever arrested for skateboarding? Did you ever get chased out? Skateboarding? I mean, uh, excuse me, graffiti? Uh, yeah, I mean, one time I got arrested by the BU police. It's not anything real. I mean, they mm -hmm. have a station, but... Right, campus arrest. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was definitely chased a lot, put in police cars. Never an official arrest, but lots of, like, kind of... Um, cherub of justice sort of right complications yeah it's similar i you know i would get arrested for skateboarding yeah. in the downtown area of my small rural new hampshire town which yeah. is ridiculous but it wasn't really arrested it was like come pick your kid up at the station i was never put in a jail yeah, cell processed. or anything yeah 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 it's ridiculous. I did have to go to court a few times in San Diego for skating when they made it illegal in Carlsbad. They what, make what, you go to traffic court. What? How did you land out in California? Was it just your family moved out My there? My dad went out there mm -hmm. uh, just on a road trip mm -hmm. with a woman, and he just wound up staying out there. Mm -hmm. And um, It was Southern California, though. Carlsbad, Carlsbad. yeah. Oceanside, San mm -hmm. Diego County. Mm -hmm. And... By the time you got back to Massachusetts, am I misremembering that you attended art school for a little bit? No, that's true. And then you bailed. You dropped out. Yeah. What were the circumstances? Uh, well, surely you know Mass Art. And yeah. They had it was like four thousand. Back then, it was like four thousand dollars a year if you're a Massachusetts resident. Right. So anyone in high school in Massachusetts that was an artist, as far as I know, was trying to get in there if they wanted to. Right. Go to art school. Mm -hmm. And so I tried in high school. I didn't get in. So then I took a year off and I took like some community college classes, applied again, didn't get in. Then I decided to so go. Did you to have to submit a portfolio or show work? 
Yeah, just like MS any. Art. Yeah. Do you and remember I, what was in your portfolio? Was it drawings, like characters, or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine. I can sort of picture like a slew of your, your early characters interacting, and that, that was maybe the part, like the guts of the high school portfolio yeah. or something. More kind of probably more graffiti looking. Oh, okay. Like stylized. Yeah. Cool. Um, eventually you got in, though. No, I got into AIB because anyone could get in there. Okay. You just had to pay for it. Okay. And I did most of the first foundation year, and then I applied to MassArt again. And then I think I must have, I, I didn't fully finish the first year. I, there were some credit issues, but then I got into MassArt, so I was like, fuck it, I'll go to MassArt. It was the fourth time I applied. Mm-hmm. Lasted at MassArt for like two and a half months. Quit there, went back to AIB, AIB lasted couple months and that was it because you weren't into it well i just fucking hated it i really didn't the model like the instructor telling you what to do and you trying to do it or just the model of school Mm -hmm. um you know like at mass art all of a sudden you have to take literature and science and math and all this and it just wasn't happening right a lot of the reason why i chose to go to art school is because i knew the requirements for for those like quote-unquote liberal arts classes were very low, and I was terrible at them. <laughs> I was not a good student. I was an average student in high school, and I got through that part of my education on the on on my artwork. My teachers sort of knew that I was the art kid and like let me squeak by. Same. Yeah, I think that's pretty common, probably out there. Um, and then you just you you said that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go do my own thing. Well, it wasn't that easy. I mean, I felt really bad about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to succeed, at least be able to, if I was, if my path of education was going to be art school, I wanted to be able to at least excel or complete it, you know. I mean, other friends, like, other friends are doing graffiti and stuff, but they were also in art school, so they were at least going you know, they were at least going to get a degree. They were going towards something. I was just kind of spinning. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I just realized it wasn't going to happen. I just didn't feel like I had the, the faculties. I didn't think I could do it. Right. So it was causing me so much anxiety that I just said, fuck it. And but, I mean, I, feel, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. I think it's that's a courageous decision. Not sure how much it was based on courage. It was more just kind of based on like I already felt really bad about myself at that time and had lots of things going on in my head. So that was the one that I could eliminate. I couldn't eliminate the like the sort of neuroses and shit mm-hmm. without medication. I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, that was the that was like the concrete thing I could be like, no, I'm not going to do this right. anymore. Right. Cool. All right, here's another New England uh, trivia question. So you're familiar with Jordan's Furniture? Mm. Yes. (laughs) So there's multiple locations, but I think that the location in Avon has... Mom. You knew it. I was going to ask, what's the name of the amusement ride? Ah, sorry. Mom. It's Mom. (laughs) Do you know, it's an acronym. Did you know that? Yeah, it's like... What's it stand for? Something movie... I don't know. Fuck. What does it stand for? Motion Odyssey Movie. Kind of lame. 
<laughs> kind of awesome. It is gorgeous. Did you ever ride on it? Nah. No, Did you? Either. No, no. That would have been far for you. Yeah. Although I think there's a Jordan's Furniture in Nashua, New Hampshire now. Now? They're expanding? I figured they were like folded. No, when I was, uh, you know, when I go see my folks who still live in New Hampshire, Jordan's Furniture is still advertising on TV. And it's still one of the brothers with like a grody little beard and a little oh, didn't ponytail. Didn't one of them pass? I think so. I'm not sure. We'll have to fact like check. Like the car that. talk guys. Yeah. Do you remember your first experience showing artwork in a public space? Like, was it in a skate shop or a cafe or a friend's apartment or something like that? Do you remember the first time you put something on the wall? Yeah, probably a cafe. Oh. Uh... Actually, yeah, 1997, there was some space in the North End. I don't really know what it was, but somehow, some you know, a, f a friend or a friend of a friend kind of got access to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right, like an early show. I yeah, feel it was like, like my first show was like in an office space or at a skate shop or something. Yeah, like definitely. Yeah. Definitely put some stuff in Blades on Newberry Street. Oh, that would have been earlier. That would have been 96. Blades on Newberry. Street. Blades on Newberry. <laughs> That's amazing. Just like taped up some, uh -huh. some collages. Yeah. And did you start organizing shows at that point too? No. Like when did you start sort of curating shows too? Because that's like, how we met. Yeah. Like 2002, three. Mm-hmm. That's right when you came to, you started coming down to New York from Massachusetts. Yeah, well, technically, I lived in New York before that. Um, I was in New York 2000, all the way up 2000, you know, 9 11. And then after that, I only left. So I was in New York 2000 to 2002, went back to Boston, or went to Boston to kind of like re ground, mm -hmm. kind of get my feet on the ground. And then I came back. Did I meet you on the second trip back or the first trip to New York? Second. I remember you're moving. You lived in Bay Ridge. Yeah. So that was the second time. Yeah. Okay. And we met via the, the show you put together that was the Russian doll yeah. show at a space in Williamsburg that I'm forgetting Correct. the name of. It was called 65 Hope Street. It's defunct, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, And so you're living in New York, and you were making drawings, and you had a day job. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And I remember you were doing some art handling. What were you, did you work at Pearl Paint, too? I did. We have that in common. You worked at that Pearl? I worked at Pearl oh, Paint in San Francisco. In San Francisco, that's yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for $7 an hour. Yeah. That was my first job out of art school, a $7 an hour job, retail. Hawking paper in the paper department in San Francisco. Um, and I feel like I also remember, were you d being a studio assistant for a couple artists too at that time? Or helping artists produce a show? Am I misremembering? Didn't you help Barry McGee with something? Oh, that was, that was Boston. That was um, at the Rose Museum oh, at okay. Brandeis. I was just an art handler, but... right. Um, but yeah, there was the, he very, was putting on an exhibition yeah. and you helped him yeah. put some stuff on the wall. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but you use assistant, you have an assistant now every now and then in your studio. Yeah. What sort of stuff do the, does the assistant help you with? Oh, um, 
you know, preparation of surfaces is like a big never ending thing. Right. right. Um, especially now that, you know, even more so now because before I started using the silkscreen process. As yeah, a I'm going to ask you about that in a bit. I would just get the canvases, you know, stretched. And, and pre-gessoed, like yeah. they'd show up to your studio. Ready to go. Ready to go. And right. I had gesso them and shit, but I didn't really need someone for that. Mm -hmm. um, but now that they come to back, now that the canvases come to the studio unstretched, it's like a constant mm -hmm. stretching and restretching. And I made a conscious decision to stop building up the surfaces so much and pushing what was there to the point of it becoming like a topographical map and then still going over it. And now I just don't go, I just destroy them. Right. You, you work them too much. All destroy right. and restretch as opposed to just going over and over and over and over. Um, another, I think another important point from where I stand in your sort of timeline was when you self-produced that show downtown. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did that all come together? You, you rented a space, you found a space like in the Lower East Side as a storefront. I was thinking about that the other day. I feel like I was just, I just ripped off your characters. My characters? I didn't mean to. No but way, now, man. looking back, I feel like I did. No, man. You know what? I think you and I both sort of saw Joachim Nordstrom at a similar time. And folk art. And, and folk art. Joachim and that Nordstrom really seeped sure. into me, for me sure. Too. I saw his work at the MoMA drawing show. When, yeah. When the, MoMA yeah. was in Long Island Barry City. McGee, uh, That's the first time I saw Joachim's work. And I was like, oh, whoa. Joachim and Barry McGee. This is something like that I was, I think I was maybe working towards. And, and like, there it is. Same. And I think that showed up in your work a little bit. Oh, and yeah. It definitely showed up in my work and, and any number of other people's work, like that way. And of, that whole outsidery, faux yeah. naive kind of, even though I think right. those are silly, but whatever. But that show that you self-produced, you rented a storefront yeah. on your own dime yeah. for like a week or two. Yeah. <laughs> and you put up, I remember mostly drawings, like unframed drawings. Maybe there was one or two framed, but were they unframed? I don't think so. I think they were largely unframed. And I remember there was like a grid of panel paintings, yeah. all portraits, like using house paint on. Yeah. Just like Luan. Quarter inch Luan. Yeah. And, if that. Right. And you had a little opening. Yeah. And I met your grandfather who introduced <laughs> himself to me as your uncle, which Such a to this day, we're always like, why did he do that? Because he's, he was right. super vain. Right. <laughs> but I bought, I bought one of those paintings from that show. You bought it? Oh, I, I bought I one of those. I have one. I bought I one of those portraits. It. That's awesome. And it hung over our doorway in our apartment for a number of years until Ruba, my daughter, noticed it and got scared. Oh, really? We, like for me, it was hanging up there as sort of the watchman. Like it was oh. one of your guys. Oh, the eyes were creepy. No, the eyes weren't creepy, but it had like a big head of hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think Ruba was like, why is, why is he looking down on me? And so we ended up taking it down. Now it's elsewhere, but. You burned uh, it. Was, no, no. But I have an early, early piece from that show. Um, so supportive. Did, did uh, I'm interested in like like self-producing shows and what artists sort of do these days to, to like get a foot in the door. Did something more, um, come of that? Did another door open after producing that show? Like, did someone come through and like, Oh wait. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I mean, you know, I just really lucked out. I mean, 
I guess it was, I don't, I don't know if it was risky. I mean, I just really lucked out in the sense that, first of all, I did it. I think that a lot of artists, and I know that a lot of artists would be like, oh, that's fucking lame, whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, at that time. Even then? I think it's. Maybe not at that time. Maybe now. You're not, you know, you're not supposed to. Self-promotion is like a dirty phrase, but I've never agreed with that. Right. Um, and I had all this work and I wanted to put it up somewhere. I mean, I had no clue. There were no expectations or any idea of anything right. happening. Right. It was literally a space I found on Craigslist. That's you know, awesome. it was just like super DIY. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wound up, Andrew Quo, who I knew from you, mm-hmm. came by mm-hmm. and he got a tote bag. And then. Right. I still have our tote bag from that. Yeah. Ruby uses it to carry books to him from school. (laughs) (laughs) And then he he saw Wes, who he knew, Wes Lang, and I only knew from Loyal Magazine. Mm -hmm. And so then Wes came by and um, he bought a couple of drawings. That's where you met Wes? Yeah. At that show? Yeah. And then he was like, then like another time he wanted to meet me there because he was really stoked. And then Martin and Amy, who we know from loyal mm-hmm. were living like right there and so that he said come over right. see these drawings so they came over and then it just sort of blossomed from there so, so ultimately yeah it paid off it was, it was like a, co- a collision of these people within proximity of that show that that blossomed in like into more yeah that's pretty amazing yeah and i think that you know what that's how most stuff happens it's it's like timing and luck and timing. the right person walking by. I mean, totally. especially in that beginning phase. I mean, now, yeah, like galleries have like marketing departments that can like push things a certain way. But yeah, but there's something that time that can never replace timing. Yeah, I think because case in point, like there was a period of time we don't need to go into it, but there was a period of time where it kind of tanked down, uh, you know kind of psychologically and it really affected the work mm-hmm. and the career choices. I burnt a fair amount of bridges. I remember that. That was a, like, like four or five years ago. A little less, but anyway, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the point, the long winded point is that even now, like here, you know, some years later, there'll be someone that I'll re meet mm-hmm. or I'll meet who maybe knew a little bit of the work then or something, but maybe heard I was crazy. I don't know, some bullshit. But the point is timing. Like, you can still, even in the small community in this city, you can still... uh, It's not a matter of too late or anything. It's just a matter of when it comes back around and where you are. And if you're open to things. Yeah, if you're ready for it. Like, being ready. You gotta be open. Like, I feel like I've had a number of interactions or studio visits or um, opportunities even that didn't pan out and I think that's mostly because I just wasn't ready for them it's definitely has a lot to do with and I, I think that's a good thing like if I had if that had worked out for example and I did a show at this place or like it, it got better or like it, it matured into a real thing I don't think I would have been ready for it and therefore would have made like probably a bad show and that would have backfired in my face right so these things i think ultimately are a good thing 
Um, and then, yeah, like, so if we, if we sort of use that first self produced show and the narrative drawing based figures and landscapes and little objects, and then sort of waltz towards what you're working on now, there's been a, a, like a nice steady loosening of, of your mark and the way you're applying color to the point now where it's mostly non-representational work. And that was just, was that a natural evolution or were you like, you know what, I'm sort of tired of drawing like these guys this way or like everyone talks about the eyes I make. I'm, yeah. si I'm sick of the fucking hearing about my eyes. Yeah. I'm not doing it anymore. So it was a little bit reactionary in yeah, that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but less about like, I mean, that was a little bit of it, but it, I wasn't so, I wasn't that influential where like I decided to change just because I didn't want to hear something. Right. It was because I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to right. make it. Yeah. I didn't feel connected to it. Yeah. I also think for me, cause I'm, I'm always trying to adjust things and make them new for me in the studio. And I imagine that's what it's like for you. Yeah. But do you learn, learn new things and get re-energized by changing things up a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's an important part of all of it. Yeah. And getting married to one way of working or one way of, of putting together a picture is, I, I think that's when you start to lose, at least for me, that's when I start falling out of love. Yeah. I mean, it can certainly, I mean, if you look around, it can definitely be commercial, commercially successful. Right. You're making, if that's a, not what you're an artist. Right. You're making for, an then, expected product and yeah, and it's da, just, da, da, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I just feel no connection there. Right. Right. Um, you play tennis. Yeah. Not so much anymore because you hurt your back. No, I'm playing. How's your back feeling? It's fine. Yeah. Uh, if you could have a casual match with any professional tennis player, who would you want to play against or play with? Probably Nadal because he seems really gentle. Yeah. Definitely not like McEnroe. No? <laughs> McEnroe's a big art collector though. Yeah, you but You could I like in like... between sets be like, what do you think about blah, 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 blah. He has good paintings. Yeah. I hung some shit in his house one time. Oh, cool. Uh, Murakami or something. Did you meet him? Meet, no. You walked by him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nadal, though, you want to play this yeah, he the, seems the, really, the swashbuckling yeah, he seems Spaniard. Really nice. Plus, he's super obsessive, so I feel like we yeah. have something to talk about. He's handsome, too. Yes, that's what it is, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, is he on the backside of his career? Isn't he hurt now or something? Yeah, I don't know, dude. It, it yeah. seems. But he's intense. Yeah, I like watching him. He's very him play. intense. He has sustained just. It's got bad knees. Inc an incredible amount of injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've done a bunch of additioned work in between your paintings. You've done like addition to prints, uh, some clothing projects. Uh, uh, recently, um, you did some addition skateboards mm -hmm. that looked pretty beautiful. I still haven't seen those in person, but um, I think that I may have seen an actor wearing one of your pieces of clothing recently. Have you Probably heard this yet? a Grateful yet? Dead shirt. No, you didn't. You made a Grateful Dead shirt. You haven't seen those? No. Oh shit. I'll check them out. Yeah. But I'll, I have one. Okay. I sort of wonder. May I, uh, this might be a, a like a, a misfire, but you know how there's that new um, HBO version of High Maintenance. Yeah. 
So in one of the episodes, there's a, uh, a guy who wears women's clothing, a character who wears women's clothing. In the new version? In the new version. They, they reintroduced him in the yeah. new version. It's that actor from Downton Abbey. I forget his name. But there's a scene with, where he's in a cafe with a friend, and he's wearing this shirt. And I'm like, that's a fucking Eddie shirt, I think. Have, you haven't heard about this? No. I wonder. Do, have, have, has your work been put on like a blousey type shirt or some sort of like flowy dress that you know about? No. Okay, so maybe it's not. It was a woman wearing it? It was, it was a guy wearing it. Oh, but as it was a woman's clothing? Yes. It's uh, maybe a misfire. We'll fact check Maybe it. it's a misfire. How are we going to fact check that? Uh, I'll have to do something in post Do you know what episode? <laughs> it's in the new, it's like. Oh, fuck. Sorry, Joe. It's okay. Seems to be fine. Yeah, we're okay. Um, that's human too, like little crashes, like that. But um, a pop, 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 a pop, 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 pop. <laughs> that should be the name of it. A pop, 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 pop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So maybe that. Maybe I was was sort of hoping to be like, yeah, that's that was really hilarious. They wore they the, the like the costume department put a dress on this guy, and it was my painting. No. But it's probably not if you haven't heard of it. But yet. I want to see it. Yeah. Um, you'll see what I'm talking about. Like, oh yeah, but no. Um, <laughs> the other thing I, I feel like you and I really got excited about recently was the de Kooning show at MoMA. Yes. And I remember you, um, like we texted about it after, like, Do you see it, Do you see it. And you said, de Kooning is truth. And I thought that was like really nice to say. I think even more specifically, I was referring to the late paintings that are super open and white Mm because at that time that must have been like 2013 yeah it was like a few years ago and i remember it was when i was making those big open sort of paintings i showed in brooklyn Uh and so those for me it was just like the amount of white the amount of white was just kind of amazing yeah it it sort of forced you to consider the negative space a bit more and the contour of the shape which I think is very important to the work you're making now. Yeah. For sure. Um, can you just... Uh, when you left that show, what was like the first thing you did? Do you remember? Uh, bought the catalog. Yeah. <laughs> Flipped through it. Yeah. Um, I think I was, Honestly, every time I saw it, but I think the first time I saw it, I was like kind of shut down i think i probably took a nap yeah i think it just completely shocked me exhausted all to the point sen- yeah all my senses were just like right it's nice when when we have visceral reactions to paintings like amazing that. i was i talked to another artist about if a work of art if a painting is like a still picture on the wall can ha- like elicit the same emotional response as like like a moving piece of music or a scene Absolutely. in a movie don't you think i rarely for me everyone's different right but i think it takes a special person and someone that truly loves looking at art to have that feeling you being one of them i had apparently what other paintings make you feel that way or artists can you think of any you know it changes uh let's see what did i just see in europe Uh, helen frankenthaler helen frankenthaler show at kagosian you saw that a couple years ago amazing same same exact feeling for me you had to go take a nap yeah exactly (laughs) that's kind of a great response (laughs) and like yeah it floored me and then it floored me even further because i started thinking about when she was making these at the same time at these male giants and yeah what happened with all those women who i think are all incredible Mm -hmm. her and lee krasner and grace hardigan and joan mitchell right i think they were all 
equally as good. I don't really see a difference. better. Some of them are better yeah, than the fuck guys. Yeah. yeah. Grace Hardigan. You know her work much? I do. I do. I feel like I, I, I could look at more you of it. You should look because it yeah. changes a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those things are. I like going back and looking at, at stuff that I've seen, but not enough of, and getting deeper into it for sure. When I'm at your studio, um, I, I like to pay attention at like how you operate in there. You usually are working on at least five paintings at the same at the same time, and I noticed that you sort of pace in a circle around them, sort of this like frenetic energy, and you'll like touch with your and you have like multiple tables covered in, in paint and you'll just grab a brush and like just sort of like tap yeah. or uh, like sort of go into just like for maybe five seconds and then move to the next and pace around and work. And I know at a certain point you probably have to slow down and dedicate to one and like hone in on it. it is there a moment when that comes together? Like at what point do you slow down and stop doing the, the sort of circle? Uh, once I see something, if I really see it developing into the idea I have of it, then I'll, hopefully we'll be like, all right, Right. but these days I just turn it around. You don't even want to look at it for a little while. No, I'm more, I think I'm more confident and feeling like making the connection between the thought that that's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then the connection that if I keep going, on it right now is there anything that it can do to improve it and if the answer is no then i can just not look at it right right i think it's more challenging than a lot of viewers or people that like art think working on more than one painting at a time is i think very hard when i when i've tried to do it because of time like i gotta try and make more work in a shorter amount of time so i'll do more at once they all start to look very similar like they're Hmm. cousins um, and, uh, I feel like you avoid that trap in a way. So that's pretty cool. Um, and you're also making, sure that's true, but. <laughs> <laughs> your sculptures. Let me move away from this. We'll go. You're okay. Am I still pa pa pa? Yeah. Okay. Um, when did the sculptures come into play? 2013. Yeah. Were those over the summer out, out East? Before that, um, I just needed to stop painting and I needed to do something else. So just started, um, it was like an exercise picking shit up off the ground. And, yeah. Scavenger, uh, sculptures. I've been always fascinated, not always, mm-hmm. but in recent years, really moved by sculptors, probably, you know, the same kind of time frame as the painters that I was really drawn towards fifties, mm-hmm. sixties. And, um, didn't know if there was a way I could make something and make it feel like I made it versus, you know, I, I, there were a couple instances where a company wanted to fabricate some things and have me paint them and they just failed miserably because they're just, they're too, it was like a toy. It was too tight or something. It was a toy. It just didn't work. Yeah. I can. So, but uh, they started small when you started doing them kind of like, Almost like lap size sculptures. Yeah, very like the size of a cat. The ones I remember seeing. Smaller, uh, even kitten. A kitten. Um, But then you've also made them very big, so they seem to have like (laughs) taken a more serious role. Like, oh, this isn't just a little side project. I actually want to make 
something that has some weight. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of weight, the seven foot ones I just showed in London, the thing was a thousand pounds, a thousand pounds. That's almost a ton. We'll have, to fact, we'll have to fact check that. How much is a ton? I believe it's a thousand pounds. <laughs> An elephant at some point. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like the sculptures were awesome, uh, like a device for you to like solve a, a broader problem. Like the paintings weren't giving you the love that you wanted. They were, you were fighting with them, so you put them back down and worked on the sculptures? Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other tricks that you do when the paintings aren't giving you what you want from them? Do you draw? Just draw. draw yeah. yeah. At heart, you're like, would you say that's where everything starts? Yeah. In drawing. Yeah. And, and you know, whenever I'm with you, you are drawing. You're drawing right now. Right. And when we used to have beers at the bar, you're drawing. And when we're having dinner, you're drawing. And these drawings are magnificent and they, they cover your floor and, and your walls at studio. And some of them act as sort of like a maquette or a sketch for a painting. Yeah. And, and we've talked about how hard it is to replicate what that drawing feels. And you, you've been on the record before talking about like trying to make a painting feel like a drawing. Yeah. And I think this is where I want to sort of circle back to the screen printing technique as a potential solution to that. Right. So you're enlarging a small drawing with the help of, uh, a master printer, right? Like Luther, Luther Davis. Yes. Mandros. Um, he's a madman <laughs> on, on a, a screen. That's like the biggest screens I've ever seen. Well, they're multiple big screens. Right. And then he tiles them together. Yeah. Screen prints, a line drawing. Yeah. That's been enlarged. Like those drawings are often pretty small. I imagine. Right. Yeah. A lap. Yeah. Like size. a, like a sketchbook drawing. Yeah. And then those come back to the studio in a roll and your assistant or you stretch them and then you, and then acts as a sort of like a framework or a skeleton. Yeah. To apply it's a paint. skeleton and there's no rule or expectation mm -hmm. really. Uh, some of them I probably, it's, I mean, it all, that's the really fun part about that is how organic it is. I mean, obviously it seems really strategized and stuff and it is that you're taking something small and making it big, but it ends where it ends there. Mm -hmm. I'm not, taking it small, making it big, having it color penciled in and matching those colors or anything like that. It's just now, what is it that it's that size on a white canvas? Um, the other thing I noticed about those screen printing paintings is the, the, the sort of impasto of paint is different than on your painted, painted, painted ones. You're like, your restraint is is interesting to 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 pay attention to right like the like the clean gesso of of what the screen print was on you can still see it's not covered up by white paint right so there's like a restraint right you're not they're much more quiet in a way than the, than the ones that have a ton of paint on them and i yeah. think that's a bold move too and that's another you know I spoke about being courageous earlier in this conversation. I feel like that's a courageous move too, to, to trust that that line from your drawing that's been uh, transferred via screen print is a strong enough component that you don't have to like cover it with all this stuff. That does take a lot of restraint. I yeah. mean, that's definitely a conscious decision. It's not, yeah, I'm not uh, a photographer, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, or, or someone that's, it's not like I went straight 
strictly from being like a printmaker, you know, right. with just this flat line. Right. You're, I'm used to the line of the paint and the edges that it creates right. and the valleys and stuff. The, so. the, the, the marks of the, the brush, yeah. the hairs and things. So not having that already kind of, you can choose to impasto on top of that, mm -hmm. but not having it and liking the way it looks kind of makes a decision of touching it lighter right for you right i think it's successful thanks when i saw them in the studio and then i saw them in your show recently in town i was like there it is there's like some discipline in like trusting that that's enough and that's okay which i thought it was yeah that has a lot to do with turning things around mm -hmm. um and you know earlier when we were talking you mentioned kind of going into a place uh, a few years ago where you weren't enjoying things. You left one of your galleries and it seemed like you went into like a little art hibernation. Mm. Um, but in that time, your work was developing too from where I was standing. Are you comfortable talking about what was going on during that phase when you're just sort of hunkering down and not really showing and, um, um, what was going on in my life? No, just whatever you're comfortable talking about. Because uh, I think like these these areas of our life are actually quite important, and and they also form what's ahead. And I and I feel like whatever you went through at that time is important to to oh, where you are now, right? Absolutely. And I remember talking with you, being like, "Dude, I don't know if I should have done that. I don't know if I should have left. I'm like in a really weird space. Like you were almost second guessing yourself. But I feel like. Things yeah, there wasn't a lot of confidence at that time, honestly. Right. It was very, I was very exposed and felt like my skin was on the outside of my body in every aspect of life and just didn't feel like I had any confidence with anything, mm -hmm. even just anything, mm -hmm. personal, physical. Um, were you happy with the, the work you were making, the drawings you were making by, at that point too? Was that an outlet of any sort? Yeah, it was, safe but it was, well, I don't know if it was a safe space. It was an outlet in the sense that it kept the obsessiveness going. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the obsessions became, at that point, less about work and more about just obsession, just mm -hmm. being obsessed and not being able to control anything. Mm-hmm. It seems like a device for you to work through stuff too. That's what art is for me a lot of time. Oh yeah. Right. Like I'm, I'm very rarely thinking about the thing I'm working on when I'm working on yeah. it. Right. I'm thinking about everything else in my life, how, you know, be it good or bad. And then suddenly something will happen in the work. We'll be like, Oh, okay. I'm going to focus on this and you can react and go it. back into yeah. it and you feel, but uh, you know, a lot of this is therapeutic for sure. Oh yeah. And I, I, I want to believe that that time for you was extremely therapeutic in a way. Obviously very difficult and scary and all the rest. Oh, no. I, no, I fully agree with what you're saying. I mean, there's no, there is no, there is no place where the past doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, and it happened and it, anyone's past obviously affects their present and their future. And it just, I think that you have to make some decisions uh, sometimes on what you want to let in and what you want to affect things. And I think at a, that period of time, I was letting 
the dark and negative things take over everything else. And then eventually I made decisions to stop doing that. Yeah. Which is great. Going towards the, uh, the lighter side. Right. I remember you mentioning, like, I remember you saying, uh, uh, I'm thinking positive right now and it's working. Yeah. That was pretty cool to hear. Um, you're married to an artist. See si. the great Sam Moyer <laughs> and, Sam Moyer. uh, uh, I, and, and you know, sh- her work in feeling is much different than yours. Yeah. And I'm curious, I, I'm going to assume you guys support each other yes, and of course. obviously, and I'm sure you exchange studio visits and give each other advice. What, what do those conversations look like when you go to Sam's studio and she, she says, what's, what do you think about this one? I think is it, it a nice volley back and forth or is it? Yeah, like, it's changing yeah. like any topic in a marriage, a relationship like that, mm-hmm. your approaches and your feelings change. Um, I think that sometimes it works exceptionally well. And I think that sometimes we're so in tune with, you know, what the other feels about our work, obviously, and value each other's, uh, opinions and decisions and choices and i and we each have our own sort of instinctual ways of doing things which aside from the fact that the type of work we're making is just different different materials it's also how do we solve problems individually and what are our impulses and things like that and generally i'm very like as soon as i see it i feel it right i don't and i'm still willing to look deeper and see right what I can see, but I think that sometimes if I'm in there, it's just like, I think we react to each other's initial reactions more than we would if we weren't both making yeah. work. I feel like you, you, you have a quick response. Yeah. You can usually say like, tell right away if you're psyched on whatever it is you're looking at. Yeah. Um, has Sam that ever can backfire? <laughs> <laughs> has Sam, when she's at your studio ever been like Eddie, this painting fucking sucks. Of course. She doesn't <laughs> say that. She says her version right. of, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure about this right or, there. Yeah. Yeah. I just know. I can just feel it's just a vibration. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, one of the other things I think that's important about you as a person, you as an artist is your generosity and that, and I mean that by your um, helping other artists out along the way. You've always been very generous. You've curated shows and included artists. You've helped connect artists with um, art lovers and uh, galleries and that sort of thing. Um, and I feel like uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are, are sort of mildly indebted to you, which is which is an interesting interesting place or. Uh, uh, an interesting thing to have in, in, in your heart. I'm wondering, um, and myself included, you've helped me along the way a number of times and I'm extremely thankful for that. I'm wondering if, if there's anyone that you feel indebted, indebted to on the timeline of Eddie Martinez. Well, I'm definitely super indebted to Sam Mm -hmm. and, um, in you know every area but i think as far as situations where someone has 
done, put someone's eyes in front of the work or things like that taught me sort of black and white things about like, oh, just buy all those books instead of, you know, if you just, just buy those materials because of their materials mm -hmm. and you can't worry about that shit. Wes Lang definitely taught me a lot about that. Like we used to go to the strand and you know, yeah, you guys would buy books, but not to read. You'd buy yeah. books for the paper. Yeah, exactly. And you'd pull the pages out and draw on the non-printed yeah. side. And he, he, I'd always be like, you're going to do that just to make a drawing on that? Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, at that time, it felt like a precious piece of paper. Yeah. Or like a radical move. Yeah. Like ripping up a book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, I know people think that's like sacrilegious, but right. um, yeah. I think that I definitely learned a lot from him about like the actual workings of being an artist in that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Like, get a flat file. Right. Things like that. And also an element of like not caring. Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's something that I always got from Wes is like, yeah, stop overthinking it. Yeah. Stop caring. Just do what feels good or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's his whole to thing. To a fault sometimes. That's his whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you also collect work too. That's another way of you, well, you're an art lover and it's also like a, uh, a generous move for you to like buy art from your friends and, and art that you like. Not a lot of artists are in a position to do that or are interested in doing that. I think that's another cool thing about what you, what you do. Like if you see something and you, you can figure out how to have it and you I make it happen. It, yeah. yeah. That's great. I can only, you know, people talk about, or maybe I just talk about how hard work doesn't really count for much in the contemporary art world. And, you know, it's, if you want to achieve a certain amount of success, hard work on its, on its own isn't enough. You need to have this degree, you need to have gone to this school, or you need to be friends with this person, or you need to get into this biennial or whatever. And I feel like of the artists that I have relationships with, you defy those expectations. You are a, you're a, a good example of someone who, I think, achieved um, what he set out to do through hard work and grit and working, and that's a beautiful thing, man. I got I, I, I want to honor that and let you know that I think about that whenever I see your work. I'm like, or like hear about you traveling to this far land to put on a show. That's all your hard work and working through a lot of demons i know and and problem spots in in your life and just not you know that whole like little hibernation period but the work comes out on the other end being stronger and more loose and it looks like you have a lot of fun while you're making it i'd like i'd like to believe that yeah, yeah. you're having fun like i don't know so, very many people that look at your stuff and say you know that doesn't that looks like it felt really good to make and that's I, for me as a viewer a really important thing to have when i look at a piece of art yeah, definitely. So, um, uh, I, I think these are all great things. And would you, you know, a certain amount of students are listening to this, are going to listen to this, my students perhaps. What sort of advice might you give um, to a young person that's interested in trying to pursue a career in contemporary art? Is it is, is this is this hard work enough? Are you the exception to the rule? Like, 
<laughs> no, no. Uh, I will agree that I've always worked hard in that. Um, I have felt that's been my strongest quality, so I've been able to kind of hinge on to that mm-hmm. and take it for what it's what it's worth. And I'm also someone that can say that, yeah, it's never been because I'm out there, you know, being successful at parties right? <laughs> or anything the social like that end of because it. I've fucking platooned so much <laughs> of that and still managed to reach a certain place. Right. Um, so that's good news for people that like are just workers and right. can't really, or like the old school model of an artist, right? The bohemian sort of, you In know, the studio. I just don't, I've just never been that great at social the events. cocktail parties. I have zero small talk game. Um, and only recently have I been able to accept that as that's just me and I'm not going to fucking try and do that stuff because I don't have to because I can back it up in the work. Right. And so, you know. Yeah. It's just a matter of accepting what you are and what works and. Um, yeah, of course, there's tons of people that are building things just based on who they know and what they look like and what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that works for you, great. But I feel pretty certain that there's got to be a fair amount of those people that are not making that much work right. and are not artists in the sense that I consider you and I artists and that it's therapeutic. It's based on necessity mm-hmm. and love and interest and excitement. It's not about, it's not solely about creating a product. Right. It's purpose. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't, I mean, I've been doing this, we've been doing this since we we're kids. Yeah. So it's part of us at this point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, these are great words. You're a great man. Your art is great. <laughs> Both your work and your art are full tilt boogie. <laughs> Thank you, Giuseppe. Yeah. And it's, and you know, thinking about your first show in a cafe to your, your uh, self-produced show in the Lower East Side that opened the door to all these other things to where you are now, um, it, it's, it, it's an inspiring track. And um, thanks for talking about it with me. Thank you very much. And we've made it to the end. I hope that you found that conversation insightful. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured here by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.